It's a beautiful day and a fine time for healing. Podcast host Randy Fine, a narcissistic abuse expert and the author of the groundbreaking book, Close Encounters of the Worst Kind, and the captivating memoir, Cliff Edge Road, invites you into her sanctuary, a place where your physical, emotional, and spiritual well-being are all that matter. So put your feet up, relax, and enjoy today's show. And now, here's Randy. Good morning. Thank you for tuning in to listen to A Fine Time for Healing. I am your show host, Randy Fine, here in my house, just like all of you, um, just waiting for this thing to go away. Um, but, uh, but I'm glad to be talking to you today, and, uh, and I'm also glad to have our guest today. Have you ever wished you had someone supportive and intuitive in your corner when it comes to navigating the confusing world of dating? Well, today's special guest, Jonathan Asley, the author of What the Heck is Self-Love Anyway, is a successful dating coach who specializes in midlife and purposeful dating. His new book, What the Heck is Self-Love Anyway?, is packed with fun, engaging, spiritual, and personal growth practices. His dynamic mid-love mastery mentorship program inspires hundreds of people daily around the world. Today, Jonathan is on a mission to encourage both men and women to adopt a daily practice of self-help, personal development, and spirituality so that they may find true inner happiness, purpose, and peace. With those practices, individuals will attract the relationship of their dreams. Jonathan an experienced and successful dating coach, is a supportive mentor and big brother to women. He wants to protect them from the wrong guy and help them find the man they'll make a life with as soon as possible. And for you guys listening out there, um, this applies to you as well. So if you're interested in this topic, don't turn the show off. Don't turn the show off because uh, this is going to be for you as well. So let me introduce you. Good morning, Jonathan, and welcome. Good morning, Randy. Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming on and your great energy. Pronounce your last name for me. <laughs> Pronounce your last uh, name. It's, it's, it, well, Asley is the easiest pronunciation. Okay, so, Asley. Asley. Okay. Yeah. All right, Jonathan. By the way, I love the title of your book, Close Encounters of the Worst Kind. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it so explains what the yeah. topic is about. Yes. yes I'm going to yes. borrow that and use it in a blog title. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Um, Jonathan, you know, I wanted to start, you know, because I, I know what sort of propelled you into this whole thing. And this was in 2018. And you lost your son, Connor, at 19 years old. What happened? Yeah. Um, well, out of respect for him, I don't want to go into the particulars other than to say he had an accident. Um, okay. And, and, you know, as a parent, and I'm sure any parent listening can relate to this, you know, our greatest fear as a parent 
is that something could happen to our children. I remember when both my boys were born, it's like, you know, could they drown in the pool? Could they get kidnapped? You know, could they go to jail? You know, like all the negativity and fear associated with raising children. And in one day, I experienced it all. That, you know, 19 years of, of worry was experienced in one day. And in that moment, obviously, I was crushed. Um, and as I leaned into both what happened and the few days and weeks that happened, you know, went on after, you know, his passing, I remember being at his funeral and I was giving the eulogy and during the eulogy, I stopped, you know, I had a little speech prepared, um, you know, telling stories about him and whatnot. And I stopped and I said, at this moment, I'm going to make a conscious choice to grieve with love, grieve with love. And, and what I meant by saying that out loud was I don't want to grieve through suffering. I don't want to grieve through pain and suffering. And what I mean to say is I can choose to lean into love. And, and literally days after the funeral, I just kept saying, I just kept leaning into love. What does love mean? What does love mean to connect with him? What does it mean to love myself? And two months after he passed, I began writing my second book, the one you mentioned, What the Heck is Self-Love Anyway?, as an exploration into loving oneself and loving others. And this piggybacked what I was doing as a dating and relationship coach because as a dating and relationship coach, the number one, you know, dating triggers the number one emotional health issue. Dating triggers the number one emotional health issue, and that is I'm not good enough, I'm not lovable, I'm not likable. Dating can trigger that. Dating and relationships can trigger that like nobody's business, whether it's a relationship with a family member, a relationship with a coworker, a romantic relationship, even the dating process of ghosting and texting and, you know, all the, you know, trying to figure out first dates. All of that can trigger our lack of self-worth, our lack of self-esteem, our lack of self-confidence. Right. So when I say... When I say self-love, I'm really, I'm saying a lot of people get turned off by this, Randy. Um, You know, like they think, oh, it's woo-woo or it's self-care. And no, self-love is that exploration into inner peace within oneself, that self-worth, self-confidence, self-esteem. And the book is a journey of, of encouraging everyone, and I say everyone, to begin a daily practice of personal development, self-help, and spiritual work to begin a daily practice. And what I mean by that is, you know, meditation is one form of practice. Watching, reading a book is one form of practice. Going to a workshop is one form of practice. But begin to heal within oneself. Because just like what your clients experience, you know, in the, you know, in the relationship realm with narcissists, that experience was really an opportunity for one to heal themselves because we don't choose those kind of people if we're not loving on ourselves. And when we love on ourselves, we make better choices. You said that so well. And I, and I just want to back up and say, you know, how sorry I am for you for what you went through mm. um, and how, um, how inspired I am with what you did with that. I mean, I have two, two adult children, so um, mm. I, can't, I can't even, 
I, I can't even go there. I can't even imagine, but I do want to say how sorry I am. Um, so Thank you. when you talk about yeah, when you talk about self love, um, it's not woo woo to my listeners because it's something I talk about <laughs> all the time. Okay. Um, when you're and it's true, when you're coming out of uh, a narcissistic abuse situation, self-love is the key to healing. It's the one yeah. thing that you do that protects you and loves you and makes you not allow that kind of toxicity into your life. So yeah. um, so you're, you're right, and I preach it all the time. So, and your book actually covers all the aspects of, you know, of of the issues of self-love. It's very good. Very good. Thank um, you. Thank you. Yeah. So, what is it about mid-life dating <laughs> that's different than dating in your 20s or 30s? Great question. So, to differentiate mid-life, I... Uh, and the audience I speak to predominantly is, um, is, I call it after baby making years and before retirement. So most of my clientele is somewhere between the ages of 42 and 69. And I would say a, a big chunk is in their, you know, 50s, if you will. Now, what diff- and by the way, what's interesting, though, Randy, is many 20 and 30-year-old women are coming to me because they don't want to end up like the 50-year-old that I'm about to explain is that of 75% of singles who are over 45 years old are most likely divorced. So the population of the singles over 45 is, if you're, is divorced. And, so, and then there's a smaller percentage of people who have never married or um, are widowers. Whereas in the 20s, predominantly everyone is single. In other words, there's, they aren't they haven't been married. And what makes marriage different or divorce different is the minute you've combined your life with another human being, you got married, you entangled assets and homes and maybe children and whatnot. When you get back to in the dating realm after divorce, there's this unraveling of the tapestry of your life. And what a lot of people do is they, they immediately jump into a new relationship, but they haven't developed that self-love or sovereignty within themselves. So they repeat the same patterns of choosing people that are unhealthy for them, or they choose relationships based on a codependency or a desperation. And that's why it's really important. That's why I talk into this, because I'm a divorced man. I've been through alimony, child support, visitation rights, family court, you know, and all of those things are big deals. And so if you're not prepared, you're going to most likely have a lot of frustration. So that's what I do is literally it's an education. And here's the thing, Randy, most human beings have this fantasy, right? You know, love is just supposed to be so wonderful and so dynamic and it's just going to last the rest of our lives and it's always going to be a high, right? And, and the other thing is most humans believe is that if we have great chemistry with another human being, that's an indication for relationship success. And that's the furthest thing from the truth, although chemistry is important. So let me not say, you know, let me just say we need to have that attraction. But 
Do you share the same values? Do you have lifestyles that can blend? And then this is the big one I'm about to say. Are, is the person you're dating an emotional grown-up? Is the person you're dating emotionally mature? And here's the real challenge. Roughly 80 to 90% of both men and women are emotionally immature, and it's in degrees. And you probably want to know what I, I mean by emotional maturity. Am I right? Sure. You can, you can explain that. Sure. Okay. All right. This is really critical for your listeners. So I want to say there's five signs to emotional maturity, at least according to the world, according to Jonathan. Okay. <laughs> um, but this is based on, and I'll just tell your audience, I have over 20,000 hours of coaching. I have over, of, of coaching, you know, um, men and women, I have over 3,000 hours of workshops, seminars, um, courses that I've attended. I'm currently getting my cognitive behavioral certificate. Um, I also am a certified neuro-linguistic program, um, you know, holder. So I study human behavior. And so when I talk about emotional maturity, Sign number one, I said the five signs of emotional maturity. Sign number one, actions matching words. Actions matching words. In other words, are you impeccable with your word? Does your word stand for something? In the dating realm, people are so flaky, both men and women alike. They say they're going to plan a date, they don't. They say they're going to call, they don't. You know, they, they plan a date, they don't show up. But if, you, if your actions don't match your words, you're not a grown-up. And I don't mean just a grown-up from a responsibility perspective, but from an emotional perspective. Because when you, make, when, you say, when you give your word to someone, that matters. And we can all come up with excuses. And there's always going to be a time where, hey, look, something happens. You know, it's interesting. I had a date planned the day my son passed away, and I blew off the date. Now, obviously, that was a big, that was a real reason but that's not who I am. I wouldn't blow someone off just for any, you know, for, you know, just because I wanted to go work out kind of thing. <laughs> um, so does that resonate with you? Actions matching words? <clears throat> Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I like the way you said that. And what you were talking about chemistry, this is something that um, I talk about to clients that when you're, looking for a real-life partner. You cannot expect that love bombing. You can't go through that because if you do, you're too high to be rational. Yes. Yes. So, but yes, you should have the way, chemistry. Now, and, yeah, and I want to say something about love bombing because men get, you know, here's the thing. I have loved bomb before a ton. I've, I've dropped bombs everywhere. I mean, listen, I'm Hiroshima in the amount of bombs I've dropped. Because <laughs> when I'm really attracted to someone and I'm enthusiastic, I'm like a little babbling idiot. Okay? So it, it isn't coming from an intentional place. It's coming from that biological place where what happens is chemistry is brain chemical, it's chemicals from our brain being released into our bodies. These chemicals include testosterone, estrogen, oxytocin, dopamine, dopamine being the one especially driven to want to be sexual with another person. So I'm just saying this, a lot of men don't do this, men in particular, they don't do this with any ill will intent. 
sometimes it's just we can't help ourselves when we get really excited about someone. Hmm. Okay. Well, thank you for explaining that. Um, yeah. How do, how do we distinguish? Because um, narcissists love bomb. That's a bomb. great question. Narcissists love so, bomb. And, um, and what they do is they get you really high on them. And they do it deliberately. And they're perfect, you know. And they, they check every box of what you could ever possibly want in a partner. So, yeah, to, to distinguish yeah. between the two, I would say that here's the thing. An emotionally mature person emotionally mature person recognizes that there's a dynamic within relationships that's both enthusiastic and exciting, but also is pragmatic. They're actually evaluating this other person from a purposeful, intentional way. Okay. And remember what I said before, 90% of the population is not emotionally mature. It's a very small percentage of the population that is genuinely emotionally mature. Now I'm differentiating emotional from, you know, paying your bills on time kind of thing and showing up on work on time. That's another form of, of maturity, but I'm talking about emotional maturity. So how do we distinguish it? Because they're not solely driven. You know, they're, it's not 100% driven by the love, if you will. They're actually evaluating you as a full person. You're saying that narcissists are? No, no, no. I'm talking about people that oh, you're are talking not about in okay, but no, in, yeah. in more healthy, <laughs> in a health yes, more healthy more health, way. Exactly. <clears throat> okay, so you said purposeful and intentional. So that's you know that's where I'm a little confused because um, they are great listeners. Um, they do come off as purposeful and intentional. So to me, um, people that have been through this before have to be very careful about women or men who are coming on that strong in the beginning. It's, to me, it's a red flag for most people. Now, you say that this happens to you all the time, but... Um, but they also rush things along. Now, when you get really excited about somebody new in your life, do you try to rush things along? Yeah, I do. I'm a guy. <laughs> I can't help myself because men are territorial as well. So one of the things is if we like someone, we want to take them off the market, you know, as quickly as possible because we don't want some. We're competitive, so we don't want some other guy coming in. Hmm. So this is this isn't. What I'm saying is, you know, you know, thankfully only 2% of the population is true narcissists. 98%, I mean, a clinical, I'm talking about clinical narcissists. So, so, I mean, but we do, and I do agree, this is a very confusing for a, particularly a woman because men are traditionally the pursuers of the relationship. So when we're incredibly enthusiastic, we might want to, you know, covet this person sooner rather than later. That's actually biology and not, that's more biology driven than it is necessarily um, psychological driven. Okay. So, so um, you, I, you say 2% of the population has, um, is clinical, clinical um, narcissistic personality disorder. That, yes. that statistic.
statistic is very, very skewed. At least 25% of everyone in the world has this disorder. This is at an epidemic level. So when I, I, wouldn't, oh. I wouldn't be doing this work if it wasn't so prevalent. So that statistic is only because narcissists don't go for help. So, so there's no way to measure the amount that are out yeah. there. So anyway, and, and here's the thing. Oh no, I want to. I agree with you. So there is a there. That's I want to clarify my statement. So yes, the clinical. I mean, they're actually evaluated. Here's the challenge with human beings, and I learned this when I was writing my book. What the heck is self love anyway? Is that 97 percent of the population mostly operates from an egoic, fear based way of life. True. They're very stuck in their self. Okay, both men and women alike. I mean, because in the dating process, most people are operating as what can I get out of this instead of what can I give? Right. So there's a big difference is that the reality is, is human beings are stuck in their egoic fear based. So, you, you know, to some degree. Now, I will say that it's the more there it is skewed because some people are incredibly more self-centered than others. Okay. And we're, we're really talking about when you've mentioned that 25% is incredibly, incredibly, incredibly self-centered. In other words, they're so myopic in their own needs, wants, and desires that they're incapable. That's why I said those five signs of emotional maturity, one of them is genuine empathy. Can they feel someone else's feelings and can they appreciate someone else's feelings? That is huge. And so one of the tests, for a narcissist, since we're bringing up narcissists, I wasn't expecting Yeah, this. yeah, what's the but test? But one of the tests is can they actually feel and appreciate your feelings? Because love bombers are more focused on what they're, they're more control-based on what they can give, but they're not actually feeling someone else's feelings and appreciating someone else's feelings. So, for example, when I shared with your audience loss of my son, right? A lot of people are just going, oh my God, right? Like you can feel that you, because you're really feeling the, your own loss of your own child in that moment. But it's also going, gosh, I, I'm, you know, I actually feel sad for you. I feel for you. I can feel your feelings and, and I respect your feelings. Narcissists very rarely actually engage with someone else's feelings, so the difference in love bombing, it's, and here's the thing about love bombing, it's telling you everything you want to hear. But if you shared a vulnerability with them, they immediately run the other direction. So when you share a fear, an insecurity, a vulnerability, now that's different than complaining. Because the second sign of emotional maturity, I just gave you the fourth sign of what I teach, but the second <laughs> sign is taking personal responsibility for your choices, taking personal responsibility for your choices. You will see with both narcissists and just the garden variety selfish person or the person stuck in ego and fear, when you ask them a past, about a past relationship, it's always the other person's fault, always the other person's fault. They take no responsibility for their part in the relationship, even if it was one with a narcissistic person. People that blame the other person who take no responsibility for their part in the relationship are operating typically from victim consciousness. Now, I'm talking about the consciousness. In other words, I've been hurt. It's someone else's fault. An emotionally mature person says, you know what? 
I made this choice. I recognize I chose this, this person. It's, I, you know, it wasn't what I wanted, but I take ownership in my part. That is a sign of emotional maturity. And I can tell you, narcissists and then the garden variety, you know, person stuck in ego or fear takes no responsibility. Right. And that's right. a great sign. Right. You so, know, um, so ask so, about past relationships. Right. So, so what I wanted to say is, you know, we're talking about narcissistic personality disorder, very different than narcissism. And when you said that when you um, share vulnerability, they run away, actually that's, it's the opposite. They run towards you because they need your vulnerability in order to be able to prey on you. So, um, and they are consummate actors. So been, they learn acting from the time they're children, and they can mimic empathy. <clears throat> so in the beginning, they do want you to share your feelings, and they do empathize with those feelings. So it's really, really tricky. This is a tricky thing. <clears throat> and I'm only bringing it up because um, this is something that so many of my clients um, – have gotten trapped by because they do offer vulnerability. Um, Narcissists prey on people. There's many reasons, but yes, people who have been divorced and are looking for a partner, Um, people who, again, have um, been widowed and are looking for a partner, and they had such a good relationship, they're not out there with their antennas up but also people who have the background of lack of self-love. So yeah, I just wanted to spread that out there. Is, yeah, no, I agree. And the challenge for the narcissist in many cases is just they're completely unaware of this behavior. They learn this behavior from their parents and their parents and that sort of thing. So a lot of times they're even myopic to this. I, uh, you know, in other words, um, but you can go back to, you, here's the thing, when you ask, whether it's a narcissist or, again, um, the vast majority of the population about their past relationships, they're always a victim in their last relationship. Always. In other words, it wasn't their fault. They take no ownership. You're right. So that's one of the key factors. And what I meant by the the empathy piece for a narcissist, I recognize, and uh, let me clarify this, is it might seem like they're leaning, well, you're more of an expert at this than I, so, you know, I, I mean, I just want to say, but for the most part, the challenge is, the challenge within human beings in general is where most human beings are myopic to themselves. They're more focused on themselves than they are another person. And yes, a narcissist in the beginning may seem that way, but, eventually, but what happens is that quickly turns. And that's what I was really getting at. Right. It does. It does turn. It does. But the, by the, but when it turns, <clears throat> at that point, there's already an addiction. Um, there's a, there's mm. a lot of things that go on with this manipulation in the beginning. So once they're hooked and once it turns, they're trapped emotionally and psychologically trapped. So it's really well, um, in the beginning. Here's the thing about trapped. Here's the challenge with that, though. This is where self-love comes in. Because when you love yourself, you never get trapped. When you genuinely, this is why I'm a big proponent of self-empowerment. Because here's the thing, when a person genuinely loves themselves, they literally can sniff out 
you know, they literally can sniff out those selfish behaviors incredibly quickly because mm-hmm. they feel it in their body. They literally, that's why I wrote my book is to help people literally get to a place where you can trust yourself so much that you sniff out the people that are misaligned to who you are and what you want. I so agree with you, 100% agree with you. So, so what you're saying basically, so let's talk about people. Um, so, so what you're saying is this is an important aspect of who we are that should be developed before we enter into this dating arena. Yeah. Is that what well, you you're know saying? What's interesting? Yeah, and you know what's interesting? I have a theory, and I, there's no way to prove this, but I believe people have experienced um, those narcissistic relationships as the trigger for them to choose to love on themselves. I believe True. from a spiritual perspective, they karmically called that in as an opportunity to love on themselves. So the minute well, you know, there's nothing, one, there's nothing like narciss- huh? narcissistic abuse. The one advantage of narcissistic abuse is that it floats everything you ever need to look at about yourself right up yes. to the surface. And you have to look exactly. at all of it. And you cannot move forward until you work on all those things because they're yeah. in your face. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. I yeah. think that's why I said dating and relationships triggers the number one emotional health issue. I'm not lovable. I'm not good enough. I'm not likable. Mm-hmm. So the beauty of experiencing this and, hey, it's like, you know, because you can choose to be in victimhood. I'm a victim of this and I'm going to suffer. Like, remember what I said earlier? I chose to grieve with love with Connor. I didn't choose to grieve as a victim or suffering because, quite frankly, you know, he passed away. It didn't happen to me. It happened to him. So, and I, and I don't mean to diminish my son in any way. And, by the way, his, his 21st birthday is two days from now, and I'm, I'm in deep pain as I'm speaking to you right now inside. So I'm, and I may not be showing it, but it's inside. So let me just say yeah. this. But okay. I chose to grieve with love. And that's what I'm saying to, your, you know, to everyone. I wrote this book because when you begin to love on yourself, it's like a vaccination to emotional chaos. And I'm going to say that one more time. It's a vaccination to emotional chaos. So when you experience that person that's self-centered or myopic or narcissistic, you're going to repel them quickly because your self-love is like a repellent to people who are not going to love on you, provided that you're going to love on them too. But, um, and I will tell you, the dating process is in, lacks compassion. So when we said earlier purposeful dating and, and intentional dating, well, one other thing that needs to be in the dating realm is compassion, compassion for the other human being because we're all on some level wounded or have had traumas. We all have had, you know, we all have wounding from our childhood and traumas and adult traumas in small or big ways. And that's one of the reasons why I'm an advocate for compassionate dating. Hmm. Okay. Well, <clears throat> I have a different point of view, but we're going to keep, we're going to go on. Well, I don't what do you mean keep... by compassionate? Let me just clear loving on yourself and being compassionate to other human beings because giving compassion is the most loving thing you can do, but compassion for self first, self first. For self first is what I, what I would agree with. Compassion for the other person is a trap for people who are uh, vulnerable to these predators. 
we don't the natural affinity of people who get caught up by these predators are that they are super compassionate towards others, but they are not compassionate towards themselves. Well, so so okay, I'd like so to focus more way, on Renee that. Brown yeah. would talk about that because here's the thing. Compassion without boundaries is unhealthy. So I'm not saying compassion without boundaries, okay? Okay. I want to be clear with your audience. I'm saying compassion for self and compassion with boundaries. In fact, Brene Brown says vulnerability without boundaries is just vomiting. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so so, so recognize you can be compassionate but have boundaries for yourself. And boundaries simply means what's okay and what's not okay for you. Okay. To be overly compassionate is an unhealthy behavior in and of itself, but to be compassionate is not. Great. Thank you for clarifying I that. Think, I, lo- yeah. I like the way you explain that. Um, yeah. So how do we learn to be compassionate to ourselves? So self-love, one of the things, okay, self-love is recognizing a lot of different things. In my book, I, I call out a number of different things. Number one, for example, chapter one in my book is speak your truth, do it with kindness. In other words, our truth is our feelings, okay? We all have feelings, and to us, our feelings are our truth. And I'm a big proponent, don't hold back on your feelings. But just remember, do it from a kind place and not dumping on another person, because that's not kind to dump your feelings on another person. So in other words, in other words, when you're interacting with another human being, say, hey, I've got something to share. Would you be open to holding space for me while I share this? And then share it from a kind, compassionate place, your feelings, and not a confrontational way. Marshall Rosenberg wrote a book called Nonviolent Communication. And he says that the vast majority of people communicate from a confrontational way and not a compassionate way. By the way, the title of his book should have been called Compassionate Communication. But the idea is communicate your feelings from a place of love, and not from a place of conflict. Agree. I agree. I agree. Well, um, and you, you also talk about people pleasing and complaining versus venting and that kind of yeah. stuff too. So a lot of people, I mean, are, we are, you know, here in the United States in particular, we are suckling, you know, people are, are literally suckling on victim consciousness and they're complaining and complaining is either blaming or pointing the finger versus venting is saying, look, I've got to get something off my chest. It's kind of ugly and it's riddled with judgment, but I just want to get it off my chest. And when it's off my chest, it's done. In other words, you're not seeking validation from the other person to validate your feelings. You're just saying, I need to get this out. And venting is very healthy. But what happens is a lot of people complain, and by the way, we see this on Facebook habitually. They complain about what's going on in their life as a way to get validation for their victimhood. Yes, I agree. (laughs) Yes. You know, we're riddled with it. We're suckling on it. Right, which is why why so many of these forums are not um, helpful to people who... No, because it's... Right. Yeah, because you're perpetuating this. Exactly. Um, One of the things um, I talk about in emotional maturity is being able to learn how to fight fair, learn how to fight fair. And what I mean by that is a lot of people, relationships are going to have conflict. And most people in their ego are going to go, I want to win. 
In other words, every argument or any disagreement is, it's my point of view is, is, is right and you're wrong. A healthy, mature person says, you know what? Um, your feelings matter, so I'm going to listen to what you say. I'm going to accept what you say is true for you. I'm going to ask you to listen to what I say and accept what I say is true for me. And in healthy people, they can learn to agree to disagree. Because we're going to always, there's going to be conflicts. But in emotionally unhealthy people or, you know, narcissistic people, as an example, or selfish people are always, I've got to be right. And that is emotionally unhealthy. You're right. I agree with so you. Learning, I think right, learning to fight fair is so important. There are rules to fighting for couples. There yeah. are rules. And by the way, for those that are, are interested, there's a great book by Dr. John Gottman called Eight Dates, Eight Dates by Dr. John Gottman. And he talks about that particularly is what's called conflict resolution. See, emotionally mature people that are actually investing in themselves. They're reading these kind of books that I'm talking about. You know, the books I'm sharing with everyone are the books where we can learn to grow from the inside out. And when you grow from the inside out, what I really mean is self-love, because when you're growing from the inside out emotionally, you are like, you are empowered. You're a superstar. You can rock the world because you're navigating life from a place of inner peace. And most people navigate life through a lot of emotional chaos. And that's what I'm encouraged. That's what I encourage in my work. It's wonderful. That's exactly, I mean, that's wonderful what you do. Um, there's, a, there's a chapter in your book called, Your Body is a Machine, Not a Temple. What do you mean by that? <laughs> So, uh, thank you. You know, like there's always, everyone's heard the term, your body is a temple, right? You know, treat it with right. absolute, you know, purity and something like that. I'm like, no, your body is actually a machine, no different than your car, okay? Now, some people take their car, take care of their car a lot better than they do their bodies. <laughs> That's but, true. you know, and so what, why I wrote that chapter was I had... Um, I had made a conscious choice to look at the way I eat, and I realized I was eating unhealthy. And because of that, I had high blood pressure. So I changed the way I view food, and I began to eat healthy, and all of a sudden my blood pressure dropped back to normal, okay? I, stopped, I didn't need medication or anything because I recognized it's important to feed our body with healthy foods, Okay, and in healthy proportions, because if we want our bodies to last for a long time, then how we treat it matters. So here in the United States in particular, I mean, we have the highest rate of obesity, the highest rate of diabetes, the highest rate of, of disease, and most disease comes from a poor diet. True. So if you really love yourself, then start taking care of the way you view food. And I'm differentiating because I'm not on a diet. I just view food differently. I just try to eat things that come from the ground. I don't eat things that come from a box or a can or a plastic bag. I try not to. I mean, occasionally I have cheat days where I want some ice cream. Um, but most of the time I buy fresh food because I want my body to last. And that's what I mean. Your body's a machine. If you want to last a long time, treat it that way. And that includes exercise as well. And that, that is, is the best yeah. form to love on yourself, too, is mm -hmm. treating your body like it matters. 
so true. I mean, it's one. It's one. It's a huge component of self-love. A huge component yeah. component of it. Um, one of the, another chapter is called <laughs> "Others Don't Need to Suffer for You to Feel Good." Uh, yeah. I want you to talk about that. That's heavy, and it's important. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. So many people feel like um, feel like if someone else is suffering, I feel good. And you don't need that to be in your life to feel good about yourself. You can redirect your energy, and it's okay for you to feel good. And a lot of people, it goes back to this victim consciousness, okay, both for self and others. And I'm... I'm encouraging everyone that you, other people don't need to suffer for you to feel good about yourself. It is absolutely okay for you to feel good about yourself. Okay. That was <clears throat> definitely true. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm just looking here. <laughs> Let's talk about the intuition. <laughs> you through my book. Well, I've, yeah. got, a, I've got one for you. So here's Wait, I one of my to, chapters. Let me just, I wanted to bring up intuition sure. because I okay. love intuition. I think it's so important for people. Um, and, and you made a comment in your book that you said, um, let's see. You talk about identifying the sensation. Um, you, okay. So anyway, um, you basically say that you stop listening, that we we can't always listen to our head, our thoughts. What we what we need to do is use our intuition as well, correct? Yeah. You know, it's interesting. A lot of people say, my like in relationships, I'm going to use an example, right? So in relationships, my head says go, but my heart says stay, right? My head says go, but my heart says stay. You've heard that before, right, Randy? Sure. In other words, the logical part of me knows I shouldn't be in this relationship, but my, but my heart says no. Well, it's actually the opposite. It's your ego choosing to stay in an unhealthy relationship and not your heart. Your heart is screaming, get out of this relationship. Mm-hmm. Your heart really, that's your intuition. Your intuition knows. In fact, it's so interesting because anyone I've talked to, and I've had thousands of hours of conversation, when a relationship ended, they all say the same thing. I knew something was off in the beginning, but I went against my better judgment. Yes. Okay? <laughs> yes. In other words, they went against, because the ego is insidious. The ego, the unhealthy ego. The healthy ego says choose self-love. That's what healthy ego does. The unhealthy ego is constantly choosing experiences for one to love on themselves. So intuition, your, your intuition is speaking to you all the time. It literally is. When we learn to tap into and practice, and it takes a level of practice. You know, it's interesting. I've heard for years women are supposed to have great intuition. But I'll tell you, as a dating relationship coach, that's not the case. You've, you've worked with narcissists, so you know that's not the case. That's not the case. Intu- but what it is is their intuition was speaking to them most of the time. It's just they didn't listen. That's right. So, 
I'm here to advocate, begin to start practicing paying attention to your intuition. And here's the thing. Your intuition is like a little compass inside of you or a barometer. When something doesn't feel good, that's usually the sign. When something feels off, there's something going on. And that's the time to start learning how to pay attention to what's happening. The hard part is the ego is also combating us and making up rationalizations. So it takes a level of consciousness and awareness. It takes a, level, a strong level of awareness to be able to tap into your intuition. Absolutely. And like one of the things under that in that chapter is identify the sensation in your body. Um, and, mm-hmm. and so um, this is something that I work with, with my clients with um, is to learn to feel where it is. Where is that sensation? Yeah. Where are you feeling it? And get comfortable or understand that when you feel that, that is a sign. So um, I like, really like that you had that as a chapter. So there was something that you wanted to talk about. Let's, let, let's go there. Oh, so, so I shared with what I said, the five signs of emotional maturity, actions, matching words, take responsibility for your choices, fighting right. fair, and I mentioned empathy. I want to lean into something else called transparency. And transparency is the ability that when people ask you questions, people, you know, that you're open to sharing. In other words, you're not holding back. You're not closed off. You're open to sharing, especially in relationships in particular. So um, now here's the thing. Someone might ask you a very intimate question, and you may not be ready or safe to answer the question. Okay? But a truly transparent person is not going to be run away from when someone else wants to get to know you and they're asking curious-based questions. So I always say uh, another chapter in my book is if it's sincere and from the heart, you can never say the wrong thing to the right person. That's true. It's sincere and from the heart. You can never say the wrong thing to the right person. Now, if it's coming from ego and fear, of course you can stick your foot in your mouth, okay? Right. But if it's sincere and from the heart. So transparency says, look, I'm say, I feel safe enough within myself that if someone asks me a sincere question, I'm open to sharing. People who are emotionally immature or stuck or self-centered oftentimes avoid intimate questions because they don't feel safe within themselves. Mm. Good point. Good point. Yeah. Um, how do you feel about online dating dating sites? <laughs> <laughs> so great question. So, I mean, the reality of the world is we no longer live in tribes like we did in the caveman days. We no longer live in small villages. We pr- practically don't live in small towns anymore. Um, and what I mean to say is most of the time we are not meeting people that we know in the dating realm, Okay. I mean, it used to be the workplace was the number one place to meet back in the 60s, as an example. Now, with the, with the world being as large as it is and diffused as it is, we no longer congregate with people. And the, oh, by the way, remember I said the demographic of the over 45-year-old is divorced? Yes. Well, yes. So we don't even have single friends within our purview to meet other single friends. So online dating was birthed as a way to connect with other people. The challenge with online dating is choice, choices, choices, choices. There's so many people to choose from. 
And this makes the process incredibly difficult. Now, the good news is now we have access to people we wouldn't otherwise see in our daily lives. But what I do as a coach is help, and I mostly work with women, but I do work with men, is help them become more discerning in the process. Because as we said before, and you said this, is when we lean into chemistry as the indication of relationship success, we often get bit in the butt. Mm -hmm. I teach more discernment. Okay, good. And that is really ask good questions. You know, a lot of people say you shouldn't ask questions on a date. It feels like an interview. And I'm here to say the opposite. You should be (laughs) interrogating a person. Now, I'm saying that tongue-in-cheek with love. But heart-centered, value-based questions about another human being is the most sincere form of actually wanting to get to know another human being. But a lot of people date like this. You like sushi? Me too. You like snowboarding? Yeah, I love it. You like the Rolling Stones? My favorite band. And they think, oh, my God, we're compatible. Yes. Well, that's not compatibility. Compatibility is do you share the same values? And I can tell you, you know, I highly doubt someone who, honest to God, loves Donald Trump and someone else loves Bernie Sanders. Those are two people that probably don't share the same values. I'm not saying that, you know, but politics and religion is a great indicator of a person's values. So it's important to ask value-based questions and then looking to see if your lifestyles are compatible. I talk to women who spend hours and days and weeks and months communicating with a long-distance relationship in a fantasy realm, believing somehow it's going to work out when their lifestyles are completely incompatible with one another. But if we love each other, we'll figure it out. (laughs) That's not the case. That's fantasy-based. So, you know, purposeful dating is getting out of the fantasy realm. Now, none of this sounds romantic, right? It doesn't sound romantic. But the reality is is you're investing your heart in another human. You know what's interesting, Randy? People will sleep together. But people will sleep together, right? You know, they've they've been dating for a few weeks, maybe a month or two, and they'll have sex, right? Right. You with me? Right, 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 right. right. Okay, they'll sleep together. But God forbid you go, can I borrow $25,000? Heck no. (laughs) We covet, human beings covet money way more than they do their bodies and their heart. We will give our heart and our bodies away, literally, but we'll never give our money away. We covet money more than we do our heart. And I'm here to say, covet your heart. In other words, your heart and your body matter. So before you invest in another human being, better make sure that they're a really good candidate to be in relationship. Yeah, that's so and that's true. what I teach, discernment. That's so true, absolutely, discernment. That's so important, so important. Um, so your book is called um, What the Heck is Self-Love Anyway? And you do yeah. go, there's many, many, many chapters of all the components of self-love and what, what we should be working towards. And I think it's really, really valuable for everyone to read. I think it's a very, very good book. Uh, and where is that available? Um, well, it's available on Amazon, both in Kindle and paper pa- paperback. You can go to Amazon directly or you can go, you can type in selflovethebook.com, selflovethebook.com. That's my URL. 
Um, I'm very proud of it. Um, it's really, Randy, it's a slight wake-up call. The wake-up call is to make an investment in yourself, to make your personal development, self-help, and spiritual work your priority in life. In other words, when you make self-love, and a lot of people confuse self-love with selfishness, and that is the furthest thing from the truth. And then other people confuse self-love with self-care. And self-care might be getting manicures and pedicures and that sort of thing. might be good for your body, but I'm talking self-love is for the soul. It's for your emotional well-being. And either, that should be your highest priority in life. And I'm not saying that your children and your spouse or partner aren't important, but one's own inner being is my encouragement as you make that your priority in life, your well-being, your inner peace. Because when you do that, you navigate life with a lot more ease and grace when you choose to love on yourself. Right. I absolutely agree with you. The other thing is that when you give yourself love, you have so much to give out because you're constantly filling that well. You know, of love. Yeah. It's just never. It's it's always overflowing. Um, <clears throat> so, it's you know where you say it's not selfish. It is not selfish. It's if you want to be a giving, compassionate person, you have to love yourself first. Otherwise, giving and loving other people is going to tap you out because you have nothing in the well to give. <clears throat> yes, so, and let yes. me just say this. You know, we're all work in progress. So some people, I want to differentiate this because I absolutely agree. We have to fill our love cup before we, you know, can give love to others. Much like the, you know, the story of when you're on the airplane. Right. uh, And the flight attendant says, in the case of cabin pressure change, you put the oxygen mask on yourself. But here's the thing, and I want to say this to everyone. We're a work in progress. Do we ever fill our love cup to the brim and overflow it? Probably not. I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but I'm saying probably not. But it's okay so long as you're constantly filling your cup up with love on yourself. Because even if you're still a work in progress, doesn't mean you can't be in relationship with another human being. Mm, okay? okay. So long as they're filling their cup up as well. Because if they're not <laughs> filling their cup, they're going to be taking from your cup. Okay? Right. <laughs> and exactly. you don't want to be giving away it. So. Don't love yourself. In other words, don't love yourself. And you can feel that because it's it's very draining when that happens. You feel it. You feel you feel drained. Um, I wanted to um, give you an opportunity, real quick, to to mention your podcast and then tell us about your website. Sure. So I'm really excited. I began a part podcast uh, recently called the What Would Love Do podcast where we explore life, love, and the pursuit of inner peace through the eyes of love. It's mostly relationship-driven and whatnot, but I talk about intuition. I talk about loneliness and a lot of other things. But the idea is what would love do is to look at every situation in your life and ask yourself, what would love do? What would love do? And start leaning to that. Or how would love respond? And a lot of people look at love as, giving to others, and I mean start with loving on yourself. Okay, and so we can access that um, through your website? Uh, Yeah, you can go to my website, jonathanasley.com, hit podcast, or you can go to Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. It's called the What Would Love Do Podcast with Jonathan Asley. 
Okay, perfect. So your website is Jonathan. What did you say, Jonathan Asley? JonathanAsley.com. I'm sure you'll have a link or button here, you know, in the okay. show notes, but it's uh, yeah, JonathanAsley.com. Okay, great. And and so and there we can find out about your workshops and everything that you do, right? Good, good, good. So that's your hub. That's your hub. Okay. Jonathan, thank you so much. Oh I mean, my God, thank you you're for writing so the book. Fantastic. <laughs> um, thank you. We, yeah, we had a lively conversation. I love that. I really like that. Yes. Thank <laughs> you so much, Randy. Okay, well, it's been my pleasure, and um, have a wonderful day. Thanks, you too. Big hugs to you. Okay, take care. Bye bye. Thanks. Bye bye now. So we are out of time, but if you have any comments or questions, you can email me at loveyourlife. We're talking about love. <laughs> loveyourlife at randyfine.com. May joy and serenity always be yours, and stay safe. Goodbye. We hope you enjoyed today's show. Visit randyfine.com, R-A-N-D-I-F-I-N-E.com, and be sure to sign up to receive updates on the latest blog posts events, and upcoming shows. Thank you for listening.